Welcome back to the Anglo Boer War podcast with me, your host, Des Latham. This week's episode is dominated by a young woman who heard about last week called Sarah Rao. While some of her exploits have been unfortunately exaggerated for nationalist reasons for years after the Boer War, there's no doubt she was extraordinary by any measure. Remember, she's in her early 20s and escaped from Springfontein concentration camp outside Bloemfontein, heading to join her four brothers, who were fighting with Commandant Nevoet, who in turn was part of General Herzog's commando in the Free State. It's around November 1901 when she joins the commando and immediately is thrown into the thick of action. Nevoet and his men and one woman head off to a place called Boomplas. I was apprehensive about going there, as it was the scene of my previous capture. She writes in her biography published in English in 2000. The commander ended up in the small settlement of Excelsior, which was only to become a town in 1910, well after the war ended. This is where Sarah caught sight of the mountains to the east, which loomed in purple and grey tones and appeared malignant. The opposing mountains frightened me. For they looked so mysterious and full of unknown danger that I felt as if some misfortune may befall us at any moment. She writes, that was around 50 miles due east of Bloemfontein, and Sarah's life became increasingly more desperate in the coming weeks. She was to face numerous skirmishes fighting alongside her Boer brothers, and as you'll hear, Sarah became a target for the British, who realised there was a woman fighting amongst them. The use of women soldiers in war was not ubiquitous, obviously, although throughout history women have armed themselves at times. Boudicca, the British warrior queen, for example, who fought the Romans around 60 AD, let alone Cleopatra. However, this is a woman who was literally in the trenches, not swanning about schmoozing famous Romans like Antony. And during the Second World War, for instance, the Russians developed entire units of women who fought in the front lines, particularly during the second phase of Operation Barbarossa after 1941. But this was 1901. Yet women of the felt obviously knew how to use weapons. Their lives depended on it. But I was now part of the struggle, she writes, and I had no choice in the matter. Every evening the commander would seek out a safe kloof or ravine where they would set up camp, and then the scouts would ride out to keep watch. They were moving very close to the English columns roaming the Free State, and most days would be spent firing potshots at British soldiers who were caught in the open, and vice versa. The larger columns were avoided for obvious reasons. There were around 150 Boers in Newbird's commando, and even with all the skills of the felt, they would be no match for a large column, which usually had artillery and the much-feared pom-pom. The commander stopped at a farm near Excelsior. That evening, Sarah's brother Abram took ill. From her description of the symptoms, it looks like a bad flu, but she put it down to a form of heat exhaustion. His body ached and he had a very high temperature. She says, we decided the two of us would spend the night on a large ridge behind the farmhouse and that my horse would remain saddled in the stables. They thought if the British arrived, they would head for the farmhouse and buy them some time. She would run down to the stables and Abram would saddle his own horse and they would escape. It didn't quite work out like that. Abram fell asleep, only 18 but looking 58. What would my mother say if she could see him lying here on the hard ground, on his face a look that made one suspect the worst? She asks. Luckily for both, she couldn't sleep that night and actually got up around midnight to tie her leggings in place. These were straps wrapped around the legs which protected riders from the thorns and other vegetation as they rode. 
the moon, which was particularly bright, was already high in the heavens. Were those horses hoofs I could hear, or was I imagining it? They were indeed hooves, and as we know, there's no real way to tell from the sound of hooves whether it's friend or foe. She woke her brother, who muttered that he heard nothing, and rolled over to go back to sleep. She prodded him, and finally he acquiesced. Both peered through the bushes in the moonlight, and there, a short distance away, were the British. Yeah, so they are here, and they are taking a position in the front of the house in the ditch, whispered Abram, still feverish. The British were at the house and were making preparations to settle in. Clearly, they had no idea the Boers were so close. Abram then did a remarkable thing. Because he was dressed in the British khaki uniform, he crept closer to the stables, stood up and calmly walked past the English troops. They ignored him. As you know, the Boers who were wearing khaki were being executed after being captured as they were regarded as spies. Still, Abram managed to find Sarah's horse. Meanwhile, Sarah was crawling down the ridge to the foot where Abram would find her. I had to proceed carefully or they might see me, but eventually I reached the foot of the ridge, my hands and knees bleeding and my dress torn to shreds. Her all-important cash, sewed into the hem of her dress, however, was safe. She reached the bottom of the ridge, then in a moment of terror wanted to run away, but forced herself to wait for her brother. She watched, dumbfounded, as Abraham washed his hands at a water tank while a British soldier tapped water from the same container. Ice cool nerves, one would say. Abraham then led the horse to where she was, and at that moment the moon was hidden behind some clouds. She galloped off while her brother hid nearby. Unfortunately, however, my horse was white, and as I set off, I was showered by bullets, she says matter-of-factly. Worse, her brother had been so hasty that he had not tightened the girth properly, and the saddle began to slip back and sideways. Fortunately, he was a calm horse, and it made no difference to him where I sat on his back. That is, if she stayed on his back. Finally, she galloped up to where the Boers were sheltering in the nearby kloof. They were awake and preparing to move to a ridge ahead to prevent encirclement as the British charged up the hill. Abram joined them later. By sunrise we were safely in the bush-covered ridge, and from there we could keep a good watch on the English without them being able to see us. She lay on the ridge near her brothers. Abram appeared to be recovering from his fever. Minutes later they spotted two riders coming directly towards them, completely unaware of the danger they were in. It was a British officer and a black scout, a white Englishman and a black South African heading towards the Boers. How would this end? Hands up! shouted one of the burghers. We heard an African say to the Englishman, Sir, put up your hands, it's the Boers. Instead of listening to the wise advice, the English officer readied his rifle and shouted, Are you mad? Can't you see I'm one of your officers? Of course, the Boers were dressed in khaki, the English uniform. The Boers then shot the African scout's horse out from under him. Then they shot and wounded the officer in the side. It was a very minor injury, says Sarah, almost reassuring herself just sufficient to serve as a small reminder of the war. He was clutching his bleeding side. The Boers then stripped the officer of his rifle, revolver and other articles, then placed him back on his horse and told the African to lead him round the ridge where he would find the English. Then the Boers galloped off, leaving the bleeding but somewhat bemused British officer to process what had just happened to him alongside the scout, and both staring at a woman soldier amongst the Boers disappearing in a cloud of dust. 
Sarah Rahl's commander then rode south in the direction of Slittlesport, or Key Pass, which is near the modern dam called the Gharib, which is on the Orange River. Sarah was suffering from her midnight crawl down the slope, however. I then took some time to put on another dress and bandage my hands and knees, as I was the only casualty among us, she says ironically. The burghers teased me, saying I should be satisfied because they'd punished the English officer for the discomfort of my injured hands and knees, and he was probably in hospital by hours able to flee. The woman, the only casualty in the skirmish, apart from the officer, the men with their gentle ribbing, the date, sometime November 1901. If they had Twitter, the incident would be trending. To my great relief, she admits, the burghers decided that we would move to Transvali at the foot of the mountain there. It was a geological misfit, the mountain known as Transvali, overlooking the arid flatlands around it. It was both a refuge and a target. The British quickly realized there was a significant threat posed by Boers on the mountain and tried to trap Sarah and her colleagues there. By now, word had filtered out that there was a Boer woman lurking amongst the commando, and the British were intrigued while simultaneously being outraged. And the word arrived at Excelsior, where Sarah reports that those Boers who were not seeing to their clothes were lying around relaxing in the sun. It was late spring and the sun was warm, the wind was dry, ideal weather for washing dirty clothes, even if they were British. Brunt, the section commander, was also on the move, but his quick recons came to an end when, 20 minutes later, he charged back in an agitated state, carrying an Englishman's helmet. The nearby road was covered in fresh hoof prints, he said. At that moment, a scout galloped into the midst, yelling, Opsal carols! Saddle up, men! Excelsior is crawling with English! Their own patrols had missed the column. Newboat's unit was now down to fewer than 100 men, almost useless against the thousands ranged against them when it came to a strategic battle, but still tactically dangerous. They trotted out into the open ground, surrounded by distant kopjes, heading for a farm called Buffelhout or Buffalo Wood. Sarah looked left, and there trotted an entire company of British mounted infantry, also on the felt. The British seemed to be staring at them. Instead of breaking into a charge, something was not right. Sarah's hunch was correct. A much larger English force, armed with artillery and pom-poms, appeared out of nowhere to the right. There was no retreat. They were between the two English forces being herded like cattle. But there was one solution, a ridge ahead. Could they make it in time and hold the high ground marooned in a sea of African felt? For one man near her, the question was moot. A British artillery shell went off right under his horse, throwing him into the air. The uninjured rider jumped up behind one of his comrades, reports Sarah, as bullets and shells rained down around us. And then, incredibly, unfortunately, I was not riding my favourite horse, which I like to spare as much as possible for difficult days, and I hadn't imagined that that day would turn out the way it did, she says caustically. The shells were exploding around her as she tried to make a getaway from the English artillery. I was riding an inferior little pony, Sarah Wall was in a predicament. She had to switch to her faster horse under fire. There and then, amid the clatter of bullets, we had to change saddles, which resulted in us falling somewhat behind the others. They were riding for their lives in a mad dash, and Sarah was terrified. I don't think I was so much scared of dying as of being captured again, in which case they would probably torture me to death anyway. Well, that technically was what was happening by starvation and disease in the concentration camps. 
Coming within days was the Fawcett Report, where solid imperial women were chosen to audit the camps and who were expected to repeat Lord Kitchener's public relations copy that all was well in these camps. They would shock Lord Kitchener and the army with their analysis. The Fawcett Report will be covered in a December podcast. Suffice to say, word in the wings by now strongly suggests that the British concentration camp system was a terrible idea. 10% of the 120,000 inmates were already dead, and more were going to die. Meanwhile, back in the Free State, Sarah and the Nevoet commando were still desperately trying to escape the British pincer movement. The Boers had made it to the high ground, and down below, Sarah spotted a wagon pulled by a team of black oxen charging as fast as they could towards them over the plains, and behind galloped the English mounted infantry, eventually seizing the wagon, which carried women and children. It was the concentration camp for them, and Sarah was seething in both anger and frustration. As she sat on her horse on the hill, one of the burghers came riding up. He was shaking and pale, but could not control his horse. He yelled for Sarah to help stop the runaway mount, and yet he was striking the animal with his horsewhip. Despite the circumstances, we had to laugh, for although he kept telling us to stop his horse, he continued hitting it, which of course had the opposite effect. The tension was broken as the men giggled at the silly rider, yet they remained in a desperate situation. The Boers then galloped down the other side. The English had also reached the top of the ridge and were about 800 paces behind us. Wherever we looked, there were bullets. Striking the ground, leaving puffs of dust and shrieking ricochets. Inevitably, someone was shot. Suddenly, I heard the voice of my brother, Yukubas, riding next to me say, I've been wounded, but don't stop, just ride on. He was bleeding from his nose and mouth, shot through the lung. They did all they could, but there on the Free State Plains, Sarah left her brother, Yukubas, to the mercy of the British. Then the reality of his situation hit home. There was no food, no ammunition. The world around us was destroyed, and some towns and farms were utterly deserted, with everyone either captured on commando. A few days later, Sarah Rahl thought, The English had said, let us capture the women, burn the farms, destroy the livestock, then we'll have won the war. That is pretty accurate. Far away from where she rode across the plain in Pretoria, Lord Kitchener had a very clear strategy. Burn down the farms, throw the population into concentration camps. End of the war. The next day, they found themselves in Jachesfontein, which means Hunter's Spring. Not an inaccurate description. A day later, they were in Foresmith district. That is where, one afternoon in late November, Sarah sat with her uncle, field cornet Luba, and his son Andris, who was 12 years old. As with most of the commandos, families would actually ride together if given the choice in order to watch over each other. Unfortunately, that also meant they would often watch each other be shot down. Field Cornet Lubber was out of sorts. He was depressed and missing his wife. As they sat in the horses, he gave his watch to Sarah, saying she should give it to his wife, should something happen to him. Commandant Nevoet gave Lubber an order to storm a nearby ridge where the English were hiding and taking potshots at the Boers below. Nevoet had no idea how car keys were lurking there, but before he could charge, Lubber was shot in the hip and Commandant Niva shouted at him to ride away to seek attention. As Lubber turned and galloped between the Boers, one lifted his rifle to shoot at the British and shot Lubber instead straight through the heart, killing him instantly. Friendly fire. Andres, his son, became hysterical, and Sarah comforted him while the Burgers took Lubber's horse and his rifle from the lifeless body. The firefight continued for a few minutes before the British withdrew. 
It was a bloody affair. There were 17 British soldiers lying dead in the bush and three Boers. Sarah was in a kind of shock, but ensured that Luba's horse, bridle and saddle were given to Andries, who was still sobbing. It was dark, and the wounded were tended to before being carried away in blankets. They couldn't take the bumping of the wagon across the felt. Nuvot was heading to Slachkral, Butcher's Kral, which appeared to be an apt name considering their recent skirmish. Sarah and her cousin Andris spent a fitful night, and early the next morning the Boers realised the British had surrounded their position once more. Nivot was highly aware that he had a woman fighter in place and ordered her to ride away through the British lines saying they wouldn't shoot her. Sarah refused, preferring to fight with the men. She was terrified that Captain Gosling, the British commander at Springfontein, would get his hands on her. What a terrible thought, she writes. So I told the men I wanted to ride with them and that if I was shot and killed, they should ask the English for my body, take the money I still had on me and give it to my parents. Remarkably, Sarah continued to ride with her hat and its hidden gold, and her dress tucked away with 500 pounds sewed into the hem. It wasn't tatters, but the all-important pound notes were still safe. It was time for the commando to make a run for it. First, they sent the wagon with the wounded ahead, even though they were yelling in pain, then mounted their horses and charged out of the farmhouse gate. Bullets rained down on us as we rode out from the stoop, despite the fact that we lay as low as possible on our horses. I felt as though I might get a bullet in my back at any moment. Suddenly her horse tripped in an artfark or ant-eater hole, and she was knocked unconscious for a few moments. That may have staved her from a bullet with the British firing steadily, sending up shafts of dust and rounds buzzing like angry bees so close to their heads. She clambered back onto her horse. Commandant Nevert ordered the men to rush towards the British unit, which appeared to be scouts. There weren't too many, but that meant... There was a much larger force nearby, probably hurrying towards them as they fought. Sarah suggested to Nuvot that before they rushed, she would ride through the bushes to a little high ground nearby and asked for his binoculars. He refused. I asked him to organize another pair for me. My brothers were greatly opposed to my going, but I told them I'd already made up my mind. Then they insisted that I give them the money because the English would only take it from me if I was captured, but I wouldn't hear of it. You have to admire this young woman and her pluck. But she was afraid, and she cantered out with the binoculars she'd been given. I was actually shivering on my horse, she admits. Eventually she reached the rise and clambered from her horse, then climbed the high ground and sat behind a bush on a rock, trying to spot the British through her binoculars. At that moment, a steenbok, which is a tiny kind of buck, leapt out from nearby. I fell off the stone. I was sitting on legs in the air, but nevertheless shouted, Hands up! She didn't even have her firearm in her hands, her rifle was slung across her back, but she went for the revolver on her hip. My own comfort was that the burghers would thankfully never know of my embarrassment. She had survived the tiny steamboat attack and then waved a handkerchief so the words would know it was safe to move. They rode up to join her, impressed by this young woman who became known as the Lady Who Fought. In Afrikaans she would be known as something like Die Frau Wat Fech, which of course sounds more poetic than the Lady Who Fought. How much longer can Sarah Raal survive before her luck runs out? With that, we need to halt alongside Nivot and Sarah and her three remaining brothers, as well as her cousin Andres, who was still mourning his father. Yukubis by now had been found by the British and treated. A quick thank you to Lawrence, who sent me a note querying the role of the town of Petrostein in the Free State. Nice to hear from you, and thanks for telling your friends about this podcast. Please rate the podcast on iTunes if you have time. 
And you can send me an email through the website abwarpodcast.com or direct message me on Twitter at Des Latham. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs> O bring me terug naar die Oud-Transvaal, daar waar my sari Daar onder in die mil is by die groen door een boom, daar woon my sari maar he.